0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. Today, I am talking with Adam McDonald, a person who was on my podcast back in, I wanna say 2016 or the very beginning of 2017. That was a, a great, would have been a great podcasting theory, but the audio quality was so shit that basically it became unusable. But at the time, we were talking about Adam's journey, literally journey of traveling the world and doing bodybuilding shows in the meantime, which was a pretty cool thing of him to do. And it's all documented on his YouTube channel. So I would recommend anybody checking that out. And I was on his podcast as well. I think that podcast was also posted on my channel. So Adam has been around for a long time, he's a successful natural bodybuilder and today we have a lot of cool topics to discuss and um, it's going to be informative and interesting not just for bodybuilders. so that's all I'm going to say, so don't tune out just yet just because you heard the word bodybuilder. So with that intro, Adam, welcome and how are you doing?
1: Thanks so much, man. Yeah, it's been a long time since we spoke about that. I, I remember that was uh, quite a long time ago. I was living in my parents' house at that stage. And uh, that's the days of like Snapchat and things like that. <laughs>
0: Sorry, that, that's what I was gonna say. Like, this is the first memory uh, just that popped up in my head as you were saying that that I remember like right after the podcast, you were like, "Oh, like, do you mind if I just make a quick like Snapchat story?" And uh, you like took a photo of us and it's like, "Hey, so this is the SSD podcast. I was here and uh, Snapchat. Nobody's talking about Snapchat anymore. That's funny."
1: Yeah, there, there, there was good times, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that traveling. That, that's traveling times um seems so long gone now at this stage
0: yeah yeah time flies it's uh pretty crazy so um now what uh what is going on with you so first of all how is the rona situation over where you are
1: um well the the situation in terms of the like the, the cases and things like that is actually not too bad but the the lockdown as a result is actually quite bad. So we've been in lockdown since December of last year and everything has been closed, like shops, uh, gyms, pretty much everything except for, the, I think they started to open up schools for some kids at least, but everything else is, is pretty much closed down. You're not supposed to leave five kilometers. You can't meet up with anybody outside. I don't think, not yet. Like next month, they're letting people meet for like uh one one other person for exercise outdoors, and uh, yeah, it's pretty strict. So it it sucks to be honest, but kind of have to get on with it. There's not really much we can do.
0: So how are you holding up with all of that? Um, because I remember, like, when the first, like, I think your country is one of those crazy ones where it was like closed for a very long time, and then it got opened up briefly. And that got closed down again. Like, I think I I was, as I was preparing for this whole thing, I mean, I like your podcast anyway, the Health Master Show, just plugging it for everybody. I was listening to a podcast that you did with Steve Hall that was a few months back. And then they were talking about like, yeah, I bought all of this gym equipment, but now the gyms are open back up and maybe I should get rid of it. So <laughs> uh, yeah. it's been kind of on and off, right?
1: Yeah, they, they opened up for three weeks in December and yeah it was like months of lockdown in order to have a a meaningful Christmas as they would they call it and then that meaningful Christmas ended up causing the the case numbers to skyrocket for what what appears to be four months now at this stage uh I, I doubt it's just because of that but yeah they opened up for three weeks and then they had to immediately close back down because the case numbers went right back up so there was no real living with covid plan it was more so let's just keep locking down until this goes away or until people are vaccinated uh, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon but uh yeah i'm lucky i kept that equipment and i actually got a, a few more things just because i'd go crazy if i couldn't train at all um so yeah i'm, I'm kind of lucky in a way
0: so um if it's not a secret how much money did you roughly spend on all the equipment that you have and, and what equipment did you invest in
1: Yeah so I think I bought like a bench a a squat rack and a bar and about 130 kilos or 50 kilos 130 kilos of plates and I kind of got it lucky because I bought it before the gyms actually closed down the first time. Uh, when people were, were saying other oh, gyms are going to be closed for two weeks, and then you could see that China was like imploding. Uh, then I realized that like, the gym's not going to be closed for two weeks, and lo and behold, it's only been open for about four weeks in the last year. So it wasn't too expensive then. I think that was like eight hundred euros. um I mean, relative to expense, how expensive it is now. And then recently, I bought a uh, like a pull up slash dip freestanding station the only reason is because if i put it on my uh like door frame i'm fairly sure i'm going to pull it down and i don't own this apartment i rent so i don't want to be doing that i've already put a hole through the wall and, and the and the roof with the with the bar and they have two dumbbells and that's two small dumbbells that are 10 kilograms and i got them from my dad who has a small tiny small like gym thing in his physio uh, studio but I didn't buy actual the dumbbells because I kept thinking that the government kept saying like oh, th- things will be open in four weeks or whatever, so I was like I'm not dropping another 400, 500 five hundred euro because I'm gonna sell all this stuff afterwards because I can't keep it in my apartment or nor do I want to. It takes so much space. And um, but then they don't they don't open it. So we we thought in Jan- in December they said we're gonna lock down for January. So I was like okay I'm not gonna drop another five hundred euros just to get dumbbells because have a barbell um or like cables or whatever then after january they said oh we're going to revisit in march and then now it's then it was march recently and then they're going to say oh we're going to revisit in april so they keep kind of pushing it out so you know you don't want to spend so much money then they're like we're opening three weeks you're like damn so overall i think it was maybe i don't know one thousand one hundred one thousand
0: two hundred euros yeah that's pretty good. I ended up investing around three thousand so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> although though I invested into more things as well and um, um, to be honest i'm uh, I made a commitment to like not comment on anything like rona related and to not really discuss this whole thing on the podcast so i'm not I'm not gonna get into any kind of like what my opinions on the whole thing are but I'm just um honestly, fully prepared for this whole thing to still go on a year from now, more or less at the same pace as it is going on now. Like I just don't, not not in terms of like in Ireland, for example, everything will be locked down. I just don't think that there will be like drastic changes as in how frequently and or if we should even expect lockdowns and unexpected restrictions and uh, things being taken away unexpectedly. And training and the most productive training sessions that i can have are just such an important part of my life that um i I feel like i just need to prepare for the future so Mm. i'm you know i I i just put my money where my values are i guess so yeah it's it's a big investment but honestly i'm really glad that i made the investments that i did so far and um it will be only more from now on, <laughs> but that's just me.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I understand. I get you. Um, I mean, uh, I I don't really understand those who like don't put any money into it. I, I think I'd send some like bands out to my clients when it originally started, um, like red like those red mini bands like that that are like ten kilos or something like that, uh, like the, the resistance. Like, I obviously, wasn't gonna send them like a, a pair of like both flex dumbbells each um but I expect then people to like buy more and more stuff um as this goes on I mean if if you like training you, you'll do it yourself but you know the, I'm surprised with some people who like say might reach out and ask for advice about home training and it's like 10 months in and they still only have like a band or something like that you know or a kettlebell
0: yeah and I I always say um you know when someone reaches out for coaching and they ask me hey so my gyms are closed so you know, I'm just wondering, do you think this is feasible? Can I still make progress? My first response is yes, but I strongly suggest that you get a pull-up bar at least. Mm. So I'm actually surprised that that was one of the, the later things that you got access to because in my view, it, if you have a pull-up bar at least, then your upper body at the very least is going to be more or less covered. As in, you can probably make like, I don't know, 80% of the progress that you could make in a gym, just because like you can do a lot of push-up variations, like whatever, handstand push-up variations, even if you don't have dumbbells. And then with a pull-up bar, like a pull-up or a, and a pull-up variations and chin-up variations are just such underrated movements and train so many muscles. And because our bodies are sufficiently heavy so that we can always train in reasonable rep ranges, those exercises remain to be stimulative enough all the way from day 1 of your training journey up until like you know year 15 so that that's kind of my most essential equipment and it's cheap as well but yeah like a pull-up bar dumbbells with as much weight plates as what you can afford and if you have that then you will be more more or less good but um so anyway one one thing i wanted to just last thing i want to say is so now you've been doing this for a year pretty much uh So now you really put this whole thing into the test. Like we always talk about these things in theory. Like, okay, gyms are closed. Don't worry. You're traveling and you don't have access to a gym. Don't worry. Like uh, you can still make it work, blah, blah, blah. Now you've been actually training with fairly basic equipment, although you have a rack and things. But like, what have you found? How are training sessions like without a good leg press and the hex squat and the cable stack and all of that? Uh, what, What have you found?
1: yeah i think like the training sessions are decent and you can get a very good training session and i'm continuing to improve my like my bench press and my pull-ups and and i'm trying to focus on what i can focus on as well like um like i may not be able to massively improve my my squat because i don't have enough weight to actually to squat lower than i don't know like 10 12 reps but same for like ordls like I've got like 80 kilos less than what I would usually do for an rdl working set, but I can, you know, improve my pull-ups and that hopefully will translate across to improved musculature. I can focus on arms pretty well. Um I can, like I said, I can do pretty much most upper body movements. It's just not ideal. And it's not necessarily that the sessions are like the equipment is a limiting factor, it's more so for me, I think, is the fact that it's in my living room it's um gyms were like all, almost a place to to go and uh, like a place for my mind i suppose to go and get out of my house um so that's been the challenge i think for me personally and i think uh, it's been a challenge for a lot of people as well it's just you're living and like eating in the place where you train so it's like a you're not removing yourself from that situation but i think in general they've they've been good there's been parts where they haven't been so good because like i said before you're expecting the gym to be open so you're saying okay well i'll put a deload week in here because you know i'm going to go heavy and hard and there's going to be a lot of fatigue from going back to normal uh next week and then you know the gyms don't open and that kind of demotivates you a little bit but in general i think they've been they've been pretty good um lower bodies haven't been as as ideal and I don't like to spend too long in the gym, and, and I don't know. Maybe you've experienced this yourself, Abel, but um, setting up some of this stuff at home, like leg curls with various things. I don't have an exact cable like machine. It's more of like a cable that you tie around the pull-up bar, and then you like balance weights at the end of it. Try and, and then the the cable is not like directly in line. It's like from top high to low. So trying to like do various things can take a long time to set up. And that can be kind of frustrating because your session can be like two hours long, um, and when you don't usually spend that long training, uh, it can be a bit frustrating. But in general, I think they're they're pretty good, and um, so I'm definitely lucky compared to a lot of people, even who even people who do want equipment now at this stage and they have just left it too long. I'm definitely lucky.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that is definitely a barrier, and. Um It's important for that reason to just create routines and rituals. I think for a lot of people, it can actually work pretty well, especially for those that are in home office and they have the luxury of at least picking the time of the day in which they train to maybe do it earlier in the day, even though like whatever science indicates that maybe training later in the day is better. Do it early, have some good dose of caffeine before, put in some good music or a podcast or something. And then at least you're a bit hyped up. You're motivated to do the training session. Put it in your schedule like normally and uh, just do whatever you can to make it a bit more, I guess, just psychologically rewarding and fun and just make a ritual around it. Because like you said, when you go to the gym, everything in there, the sight of the weights, the people that are also training, like everything's indicates like this place is for training it's not for eating or playing my with my playstation no i'm here to move and at home you just don't have that kind of conditioning factor so definitely a challenge um anyway um with that 15 minute intro you have been a a natural bodybuilder for how long at this point
1: um uh, well, it depends on what you determine what what you when you are actually cross over the line to become a natural bodybuilder. But I've been competing, I suppose, since two thousand and thirteen. So when how long is that? That's like is that eight years? Is my, when I first competed. Um, but I've been lifting weights, I guess, since I was maybe fifteen or sixteen, and I kind of found out about natural bodybuilding around maybe seventeen, eighteen, and. I suppose I actually really only competed in natural bodybuilding first time in, in 2019. Before that, it was like fitness, like WBFF, which is actually the, when we spoke last, that was the show I just done the WBFF Worlds, and before that was a, a another kind of organization here in Ireland that's like a fitness model. Um, but I competed as a like a natural bodybuilder, so to speak, in those. But in the last season, I competed in three natural bodybuilding shows where it's actually tested. The other two shows weren't tested.
0: Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty incredible. Actually, (laughs) like you, you got into this like really early. Um, I mean, I, I just, I follow obviously a lot of people like you who compete regularly and everybody's story is a little bit different. Like a lot of people have been training for like 10 years and whatever. And eventually they were like, okay, well, I achieved a lot of the kind of benchmarks that I set for myself in the gym. So maybe, now let's take it to the next level and actually do a competition, but you got into it like really early. So so I, I have, to, have to tell you something interesting, which um, I don't know if it's going to make any sense to you. I'm curious what you, like what your first thoughts even are on what I'm about to say. Uh, and then I'm going to follow that up with a question. So I've never competed and don't really plan on ever competing, to be honest. And, um, but there are, Lots of other things that I haven't done or at least haven't done up until this point. And if I'm thinking about a couple of these things, so let's take natural bodybuilding. Let's take powerlifting and then let's take enhanced bodybuilding. Honestly, out of those three, natural bodybuilding is the one that I could see myself like being the least likely to ever do. And um, I haven't always seen it that way, but as time goes on, (laughs) and honestly just observe what people do and what they go through in all of these domains like natural bodybuilding is the one that i wouldn't want to say understand the least that's not even a good way to phrase it like people have different passions and different things that draws them in but like that's the one that has the least i guess appeal to me in any kind of way so first of all i'm interested in what you even think of that statement because that might sound fairly absurd but what is it that drew you in so early and for for so long because i mean you haven't stopped since then
1: yeah i mean i don't think that's absurd at all some people like a a competitive outlet even myself i i think that if the gyms were to close forever um and for some reason let's say i got an injury where i couldn't lift weights but i could do other things um i don't think i would be like destroyed um mentally i would just pick up something else um like, I've, I've even toyed with the idea of running a marathon before, but I, I know that's complete contrast of, of goal in terms of the training that I need to do with, with my bodybuilding goals. So I basically put that on hold or even regress for a year or two. Um, But like when I, how I got into lifting was actually I, I used to play basketball and I ended up playing basketball then for my country when I was 18. So I, I was always very competitive and i think how i got into natural bodybuilding I'm, I'm not sure i think i i think it was well actually first i found normal bodybuilding or say enhanced bodybuilding um and i i do distinctly remember that uh, well i used to always buy the flex magazines and muscular development which are I i'm not sure if they still sell them but i'm fairly sure they do but they're pretty hardcore um like enhanced bodybuilding the information is absolutely brutal in them but but the the photos and things are like you know uh, Dexter Jackson or Branch Warren in like a like these hot pants, short, short things, and you know like, like veins coming out of his head. Um, and I I still do really like Untested Bodybuilding. And if I was to watch a show or or like like I follow Untested Bodybuilding, like the results, and um, I'd much prefer to go to a Mister Olympia than I would, or even a like an Arnold Classic Europe um which actually I've been to rather than like a WMBF worlds in terms of as a spectator like you've got bigger guys who are freaks and arguably they're they're more genetically freak freaks than or freakish than natural bodybuilders so I do understand that and I've uh, like toyed with the idea like you know many years ago of like going to the enhanced side just to be that big um i remember the first the first actual bodybuilding show i went to there was a guest poser and that was in a place called limerick in ireland and the guest poser was ronnie coleman and uh, that was about two years after he stopped competing so he was absolutely still huge and i was just mesmerized i was 18 as mesmerized at how big he was and just kind of like when like i guess not to the same extent but like when like ronaldo walks into the room everybody just like oh my God, but this is like doubly that because he's also massive, like physically massive, like twice the the size, if not more than everybody else in the room. So I guess that's more of a kind of an external gratification thing where I wanted to be like that. And I wonder what it would feel like to to be like that. Um, And then I think how I got into natural bodybuilding was I wasn't an idiot and didn't, didn't think like, oh, Ronnie Coleman's natural. Um, or those guys are natural, like, I, I wasn't that naive, and I think I might have started searching for, like, teen bodybuilding on the forums, and I think Lane Norton was a, someone who posted about that a lot on natu- on, a, on bodybuilding.com, and I think I was kind of drawn towards the science side of things, or, yeah, that, the more evidence-based, so, so to speak, um, or understanding things and mechanisms, a bit more, like, cerebral, And uh, I I really like to know the answer to like the why of of everything, not just in, not just in like nutrition or training, but everything I always want to understand, like how things work or or whatever. And he, I guess that's kind of how I fell into it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And, um, and it wasn't like I had this period I've heard other people say like, wow, oh my God, I found that there was a a natural bodybuilding. I thought you had to do, uh, I thought I had to be untested, Um, but that's kind of how I got into it. And then. I didn't. I, I don't think I ruled out like non tested bodybuilding or untested bodybuilding like early in my career. I just i didn't want to be taking that stuff when I was like 18 19 because I, I knew that it wasn't necessarily good to be taking that stuff when you're younger. And then I kind of wanted to actually be a, like a fitness model, Rob Riches, who's who was like uh, a well known fitness model back then. He was sponsored by Optimum Nutrition and things like that. He, he was like, he looked good, he like like he's an attractive guy and he had a great physique and i i kind of wanted to aspire to be like that like he's still way bigger probably than than i am now or at least he looks bigger because of his insertions um and then i think after competing in like the fitness model category and realizing especially at the the last competition i did in fitness the wbff like the guy's at least half of them even in the fitness category because also muscle model category are not natural and i was just much smaller and i realized like you know these guys some of these guys aren't much older than i am and they're way bigger and i remember even one of the guys asked me "Was like he was a pro whatever that kind of means he has a he competes in the pro class that um, you know, is this your first show in a kind of condescending way? And I was thinking, oh, what, what a dick! Why would you say that? Basically, saying like you look small. It's like you know, because I had a had my T-shirt on, I think. And then after that, I kind of wasn't sure actually if I wanted to compete again. It wasn't the best experience. It wasn't the worst, but it wasn't the best, and I didn't really feel that fulfilled. And then I decided eventually, okay, I wanna I wanna do natural bodybuilding this time. So I, I tried it out, and uh, and yeah, it's I still. That's kind of where I am now, I suppose. I'm like two years removed. Well, not two years, about a year and a half removed from my last season.
0: Yeah. So, um, so I don't even know how how much I should go into this, but like, I'm I'm just curious to hear your perspective about like what it is about the process of going through a prep, everything that goes into it, and then everything that comes after that, which can also be rough. Like, what is it about that whole process that makes you want to do it again and again? Obviously, in your case, it's a little bit of a trickier question because it's also part of your business and you're a coach and you're working with competitors. So I guess that inherently changes things to some extent or to a large extent. But like to me, if I'm looking at like all these different things that I listed and you mentioned running a marathon, like that also kind of falls into this like I would never ever freaking do a marathon like it just looks like torture my knees are like aching if I just do a little bit of a jog whatever I did a lot of that as a kid I was doing kayaking and there we we did a lot of running and my knees are permanently fucked since then so I would never do run a marathon for example I would never do an ironman but I can see why people are drawn to it cuz When I'm hearing about their experiences, it's all about like, you know, after you ran like, you know, 30 kilometers and you're tired, but then you're getting into this flow and your your brain goes into a different space and you're having borderline euphoric experiences and you just become a different person, this and that, um, Powerlifting, same thing. Like I don't think I would do that or I've never considered doing that. It's like, man, my shoulders are starting to hurt even when I go below like six reps. It would be connective tissue suicide. But I can fully understand the appeal of like how freaking big and strong I can get. Enhanced bodybuilding, obviously many, many things that go against it. But like, man, you're going ready for a show and it's like it's an art, it's like, okay, I have my genetics. What can I get out of that with you know using technology, essentially? Like, okay, I'm a little bit too stringy. Let's throw in this compound. I'm holding a little bit to water. There are like 15 different products on the market that can make me look drier. It's technology utilization art. So like I, I can totally see the appeal of that as well. With natural bodybuilding... When I'm following the journeys of people that are getting ready on the stage, like I'm not hearing these things in the final stages of a prep. It's all about it's horrible. I cannot sleep. No sex drive. I'm feeling like a walking dead man. And it's like, uh, how much more can I suffer? Like I'm already suffering a lot. And there is three months left and I'm going to suffer 10 times more. But hey, I, I trust that I can suffer even more. Like that's my perspective looking at it from the outside. But obviously you must have a very different perspective on it since you've been doing it for so long and it doesn't seem like you're planning on stopping with it. So just just tell me a bit about it. Like what is it about natural bodybuilding and the process of competing that you like?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think one of the main things is... is you're working towards goal, and I know that even though I love lifting, it's it's it is easier to, I suppose, push yourself hard and to enjoy enjoy it when you're training for something. Um, and I know you could just train for yourself, but it's not working towards something. And you probably need to be that kind of person that likes to go through or push yourself physically um, and and to an extent mentally as well in true physical sport or if you want to call it a sport to to want to do this so i don't think that people should just do natural bodybuilding because or compete in natural bodybuilding just because they have a good physique i think that's a bit of a silly situation silly kind of uh, a suggestion that i often hear it's like just because someone is tall you should oh you should play basketball just because you're tall even though you might not like basketball um but Yeah I don't try and frame it so much in that sense where it's like it's torture or it's it's very hard and I know you've died it down very lean and you know it, it can be hard but also it can help you you can carry over some of those things that you learn about yourself mentally into other areas of life and I kind of see it as like an embodiment of I suppose stoicism where you have to delay gratification you have to Almost separate your emotions to an extent from your actions and do the the right thing, and not necessarily do the thing that you feel you want to do. Um, and it, it can really help there, and I think expand your ability to to do that and to persevere. And I think it's a it's often something that a lot of people lack in this day and age, with things just being so easy. I think like you know we could end up being in a situation and you know 20 years time we were just all sitting in chairs that are robotic and we barely barely move ourselves and everything is just basically handed to us through technology um and i think that's i suppose that's the prep side of things it's and also obviously the visual changes that you see as well and i can understand that can maybe a little bit more difficult for people who say aren't uh, overly muscular or don't have like very good genetics they they just look like they're getting smaller all the time and then eventually when they do stand on stage they don't necessarily have a a, a fantastic physique but but then the the process of actually or the, the competing itself and the day surrounding it is, is, is extremely enjoyable and i suppose like i kind of alluded to it's kind of almost like finishing a marathon and you're on a high and it's yeah it's, it's really enjoyable but it's not something. That I want to do all the time because it is quite consuming. Um, like you do have to say no to certain things, like social life mainly, and you do start to feel a bit worse. Like your energy levels are quite low a lot. You end up having to invest a lot of time into like doing cardio or steps, and um, you have to track your food a lot more diligently. You can't enjoy the food, other food as much, and your sleep is kind of disturbed towards the end a bit more. But if it's really bad for the whole prep or for like three months, then I'd probably revisit, you know, the approach that you're taking. But I think, yeah, it's just some sort of physical challenge, um, and I think my route to express that is through natural bodybuilding, and that's why I said, like, I don't think I would be too, you know, too upset necessarily if I couldn't ever do it again, um, and even in between periods of of competing and after my last show not the last one but the last time we spoke i actually picked up crossfit for a while and i I was thinking okay i'm going to try to hit the crossfit games and i'd never done an olympic lift in my life um but i said like that's kind of where i want to reach for um and that didn't that only lasted for about 12 weeks (laughs) and then i got back into bodybuilding so i i I suppose it's i can understand why people don't necessarily want to do it but i don't think the process of doing it as uh, as an untested or someone who uses drugs is, is would be actually that different other than you just retain a bit more muscle and maybe you don't feel as as bad towards the end, but you're still going to feel quite bad. I've, I've asked a few people who've competed natural and untested. Is it much different? I think Jackson Pios, I think for example, I asked, I asked him about it. He said it's pretty similar, um, but maybe just, you know, you just don't feel as bad, but you still do suffer um, especially just because of the the low energy availability towards the end.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely heard similar things in terms of the well-being thing. Like I have I specifically asked this from someone in the enhanced realm not that long ago. Like, look, like can you give me an idea just how is the experience of getting super, super lean? So I haven't been in stage condition, but like you said, I've gotten within shooting distance of that. And I know how I felt. So like, how would I have felt? Just tell me if I was on, say, I don't know, 300 migs of testosterone, like, would it have been like drastically better? And it's like, well, yeah, down to a certain point, it definitely would have made a big difference. So if you go down to like 7% body fat, you would feel better you would probably sleep better libido would still be there more so but when you go from 7% body fat to 4 you're going to suffer like no matter what you take and what you inject it's 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 going to be a struggle so i've definitely heard similar things so one thing i asked uh, steve hall one time and i'm curious what your take is is uh, obviously any kind of diet where you're really pushing yourself to the limits. And I guess bodybuilding is the epitome of that in terms of, yeah, like dieting, leanness, all of that. There are many things that are making it hard. So for me personally, sleep is one of the biggest things, like when that really starts suffering and I feel like I get to a place where it's basically irreversible. Like as, as long as I'm this lean and as long as I'm in a deficit, Is going to suck. Like that's one of the hardest things for me. Uh, For others is the social aspect. To me, that's not such big of a deal because I'm fairly introverted. So like I wouldn't want to be out and clubbing and doing this and that anyway. Uh, For others, it's whatever, impaired productivity. So I'm curious, like if you're looking at all of the things that can suffer during a very, very harsh diet, like what is the first thing that comes to mind? Like, well, yeah, like that thing, that is the thing that I miss the least about prepping.
1: Well, I think we well, haven't really got much of a social life because of the whole worldwide situation in the last since literally since like three months after my last prep finished anyway. Um, but that would have been one. Um none of my friends really like bodybuilding at all like some of them lift weights but like they will drink like pretty much every weekend and I do enjoy that but it's not something that I've really have done throughout my life anyway because it doesn't really match up with the kind of fitness lifestyle anyway but you can't really even do that like once a month when you're prepping um or at least towards the end I think like the last time I actually got drunk on my prep because I, I know we talk about moderation but like a lot more fun to, to not drink in moderation than it is to drink in moderation um was about eight weeks before i competed in, in in the mayhem um which is the one that i competed with eric so i actually like drank a few weeks before i like, got well drank quite a lot um and i, I you know I, I did miss things like that because when summer you like to go to barbecues and, and just eat the food and stuff and you know you can't really have like fatty burgers and ribs and things like that um so i do i Did miss that um, towards the end because I think towards, you know, throughout the prep, you can, and if you take a bit of a longer prep, you can get away with some of these things. Like I went to a wedding in Spain for a weekend and didn't train. I don't think I didn't train or I didn't really track food, but I was just cognizant of what I was eating. And then I guess just being tired a lot as well is, it was kind of bad. I mean, I don't think I really had sleep issues until I was maybe six, seven weeks out. Other than that, I was actually my sleep was improving, um, or at least staying the same. And just towards the end, it's just being constantly tired. It's just like finished, like I'm finished. Whatever I was doing, work or something at five o'clock or whatever, and then I'm just exhausted, and then I have to go and do like some steps because I was actually doing quite a lot of steps to try and get my body weight down. And I was just feeling like kind of like I've done a hike every day and just plopping on the couch and then realizing I need to go train in an hour. And it, it's that was a bit frustrating, and I think then obviously also just the time commitment to that that doing those steps and having to train all the time or like at least like five days a week or whatever was a, a bit um, stressful because the last at, towards the end of my last prep I started a master's degree as well and uh, it took up a lot of time so I was like studying at like t- you know nine o'clock ten o'clock at night because I didn't have time and that was one of the biggest things i would say and and probably why i wouldn't commit to a prep until maybe next year when i'm a bit more time because it it is quite time consuming just having the cardio in um having to be able to prepare not just grab something quickly um or even like get something that's like uh even though a healthier or better macro option from a a takeaway or something or like a, a supermarket that, that's how I'd say. I wouldn't say there's one particular thing, but I'd say just a combination of like the
0: different changes. Right. Oh, man, what a, what a dream picture you're painting. Like uh, 20,000 yeah. 20, steps a day, no food, uh, heavy legs constantly, and studying until 10 p.m. Ah, oh, amazing. Hey, guys, just a brief interruption. If you like my content, value my opinion, and find my methods for getting and staying lean, and building muscle intriguing, then I'm just letting you know that I do have a comprehensive, 100% individualized online coaching service. If you'd like to have me in your corner and use my best methods to achieve your fitness goals, then check out the show description for more information about how you can most easily reach me and apply. I will follow up with you, and you and I together will determine if/slash exactly how I can best help you to reach your goals. Whether it's my one-on-one or group coaching service, we will find a system that is the best fit for you. All right, that's it. Let's continue with the show. Just, just just, curious, because this is something I'm planning to have some discussions on on the podcast, uh, just how big of a difference it makes when someone is a bit more sedentary versus gets in like a lot of steps. I'm actually planning on interviewing uh, Herman Ponser. I'm sure you've heard of his name. You know, mm-hmm. the Ponser model, constrained energy expenditure. And he talks all about like, well, like there's a limit on how, mu- how many calories you can spend. And, you know, the Hadza tribe, they're moving around all the time and they're not burning that many more calories than even sedentary people just sitting in a cubicle all day. So... Uh, I don't know if this was always your approach, like doing a lot of steps or doing a lot of cardio. Maybe you've had preps when it was like little cardio. And what have you found in terms of higher just general activity levels, not necessarily like cardio, but for example, getting in a lot of steps? I think the last time we spoke, you mentioned that you were getting in 20,000 steps a day. Um, Did you find that you could get by on, on higher calories during the prep doing that?
1: No so I think my metabolism is pretty adaptive at least when I when I diet I, I don't really eat a lot of calories in the off season to gain weight I mean I would I've never eaten 4000 calories I mean consistently of, of course I have eaten 4000 calories in a day but uh, you know more than 3200 3300 calories I would gain weight and then when I diet um you know I'm dieting it around maybe I'd start my prep 2,500 calories, but that's at about like 92 kilos. And then at the end of my prep, I think I got down to around 1,600 calories. And I think, yeah, I think that the less steps to an extent that you can get away with, the better because you save time and it's not as fatiguing. Um, time being probably the main thing because 20,000 steps is a lot of time. But at the end of the day, you if you're not dropping body weight, you have to you have to do something it's either less food or, or it's more activity and uh, as you know like in the general population a lot of people just probably don't they, they just don't track their food properly or they're they're not sure like I mean I had one client who was, I think eating pasta he was like he was I don't he was he was underestimating the pasta the content that he was eating and he ended up eating like three times the amount of calories and um, because he was that the packet said I think it was like uh, cooked values or something like that and he was taking that as like dry weight or something like that but f- as you know for like the likes of our, our, ourselves we pretty good at like not messing things up like that but I've in my previous preps like 2016 I, I did try a, low, a lower step count or at least like 12,000 and try to get calories lower because that's what you can do but I ended up actually binging more and I know you could just say like I oh, don't binge like it's easy to say but often when you're like s- technically starving yourself and you're maybe a little bit more emotional and then you're not in the best environment especially when I was traveling and um, in, not in the best environment for like being on track I ended up binging a couple of times and that's not really a good scenario to, to get into obviously from a, a body composition point of view but also from a psychological thing as well because you feel very bad about it and the approach I took then was like increasing calories a little bit, having more food, and then doing more more steps. So I think like I do recommend people try get away with less steps than more to an extent. So like if you're prepping, like probably more than 10,000 steps, but maybe try not to get more than 15,000. But if they're already eating quite a, a small amount of calories or a low amount of calories, and they're starting to get overly food focused or they maybe are binging semi-frequently and they have a lot of time that they could get more steps in then i think that's a, a good a good um, strategy so i think you know you can look at the physiology physiology and you know what happens in terms of energy conservation but then you need to look at it from a practical point of view and i think that's it's probably the, looking at the mechanisms is probably Better for people who generally want to be healthy or, or lose a little bit of body fat and maybe be like healthily lean or like beach lean. But when you're getting to like stage levels of leanness, you know we're 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 already kind of messing up our physiology and getting to a point where you know it's it's not going to be a good place. So we really need to kind of do what we can do to just get there, um, and, and whatever is going to work for that person. So I'm not ruling out that I would have to do those kind of steps in the in my next prep. I would try to. I will try to see if I can get away with less, and hopefully maybe just eat a little bit less. But I'd have to see how, how how that makes me feel, and then how like
0: psychologically how, how I cope with that as well. Right. So, but just to put some numbers on it, so you're you're a pretty big guy for for an Eddie bodybuilder. So like you're. 5'11", so 180 centimeters, right? And you compete mm-hmm. at around 80 kilograms, so 175 yep. pounds. Uh, so at the very end, when you were like still losing weight and pushing for a fat loss, were your calories at around 1,600 and you were getting in around 20K steps?
1: Yeah, I'd say about that. Maybe slightly higher the calories because I was also doing like a, a refeed once a week which I know there's like debate around that, but I do feel psychologically that helps a lot, like kind of light at the end of the tunnel, especially when you diet for a long period. Um, So I'd say maybe around 10 calories per pound of body weight towards the end. Um, And yeah, I was doing for for a couple of months towards the end, I was doing probably around 20,000. I probably could have reduced that a little bit, but I always kind of need to get a little bit leaner for my next show.
0: So I'm really curious what your calories would have had to be Had you only done like, let's say, like seven thousand steps, which is like still respectable for a healthfully active person, and uh, so yeah, like would would maybe then your calories would have had to be at like twelve hundred or something. I mean, my general kind of rule of thumb is. Two thousand steps is roughly a hundred calories burned. Uh, obviously, it's going to change a little bit as you're like getting really lean and you're walking slower and whatever. But you're curious how it would have pl- uh, panned out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like it does depend because obviously, the more steps you do, the likelihood that you conserve more energy throughout the rest of the day. So you're not necessarily just burning an extra every time you do two thousand more. You burn an extra hundred calories because Likely the fact that I was doing twenty thousand versus let's say ten, I was actually conserving less energy, conserving more energy at other parts of the day when I was like you know working or whatever. So I probably may have got away with a little bit more, but that's why the steps go up. It's not like the the calories that i burn now as someone who's like much heavier doing twenty thousand. I, I definitely would have conserved a lot more. So it, it's definitely hard to say, but like I was very doing a very inactive job, as well. But I, I know that Eric, who who competed at that, that show, it was eating I think maybe fifteen hundred some days, um, and he was sitting around a lot, and he had to get down like ver. He might have even got below less below fifteen thousand or fifteen hundred some days. I'm not quite sure, but I think I preferred to just eat a little bit more and not have to just eat vegetables and that's it, um. Yeah, so it it would be
0: interesting, but I think it's also going to be inter-individual as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, All right, so Adam, next or last thing I want to discuss with you, and um, it's, it's something that is very relevant for basically anybody who plans on getting lean, and then, of course, is going to be a bigger risk and just more likely something they have to be more careful with. And also just emotionally a lot more taxing for those that are getting like very, very lean, maybe purposefully unsustainably lean for something like a competition is post diet rebound slash weight gain. So I kind of followed along your journey as you were doing your last competition. I saw your updates your check-ins, saw your competition pictures, uh, you beating Eric Helms in a competition, which is very impressive, and you looked great. And then I remember a few months later, I don't exactly remember how much later it was, But I just remember a Facebook video of yours popping up where you were outlining how you're planning on doing a mini cut, and it was really informative. Actually, I even like downloaded your your spreadsheet because you had a nice little calculator. Maybe it's still up on your site. I don't know for people to check it out. And um, you were outlining how you're planning to go from I don't know like 25 or 27 percent body fat. So this was like a few months after the, your competition down to whatever percent body fat in like nine weeks or something. So obviously 20 plus percent body fat, let's say 25% is quite a big jump from 5% body fat where you're competed. And this is like not not seeing any of this in a der- derogatory way. So like, like, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm just interested in how was the process of going up to that point after the competition and um was all of that purposeful so did you do like an assertive recovery diet like okay i'm just going to gain weight purposefully and systematically until i feel better were there times when sort of you broke down a little bit and uh, just mentally emotionally how was that whole process for you
1: yeah, so I thought this was a judge-free zone and I don't appreciate your fat shaming, but um <laughs> No, <nah. laughs> sorry. No, um no, it's good. Yeah. I no, I definitely did gain a fat. I mean, well, I, I I can't remember exactly the the body fat thing, but yeah, I have one of those Fitbit scales where you stand on it and it's like the bioimpedance. I don't know if I was actually 28% body fat, but uh, I was definitely yeah, a lot higher. Um but that's probably what it said. Um so yeah, I, I I do. So after my other shows, I did try to be a bit more conservative with my, I suppose, my reversing diet or my recovery diet. And I think, like, I think it's different if you're just trying to get lean and then kind of stay lean versus like myself. I compete as a, a natural bodybuilder. So, like, I do it for competitive reasons. So, I don't really try and stay too lean all the time. Um, I just wanted to feel good and especially after my last prep where I'd done a sh- first show in July and then the last one was in November so pretty much from July to November I was at least under 10% body fat um you know there might have been a week or something where like after my show in-, in the states where I like ate a bit more food because I was you know on holiday uh, but I didn't gain like you know 5% body fat in a week or anything um so at the end of that I was really just mentally like a, you know I'm sick of, of being this lean like I just I, I just not enjoying it at all anymore but I was just holding it out because it's like the WMBF worlds. So I can I may not have the opportunity to compete here again so let's just kind of stick it out so after that I'd already been doing a master's for a couple months at that stage and I was just had like no time and I was just did not want to do any more steps so I, I think I just literally let my steps go back to where they were naturally which probably was around maybe seven thousands or, or maybe even less and food wise I didn't really track I don't actually track that frequently I mean um, even when I even when I was actually doing the, the, the prep I maybe I only tracked maybe three days a week Um, you know I, I chose similar foods most days Um, you know when you're eating 1700 calories there's not much options but I, I I've been doing this for so long that I kind of know like that a banana has more calories than no a couple of strawberries so i didn't actually really track and using like my fitness pal um, a lot of the time maybe two or three days a week i did and the rest was more just eating similar foods um and using the scale weight uh, maybe i would have got like slightly better results if i did track but you know probably not um so then yeah, I think I just let it naturally, my, my appetite kind of took over. I did try to make good food choices, so I wasn't just like, I'm hungry, so I'm going to go eat McDonald's. But I definitely did find that like some evenings I was after a dinner, I was still hungry. So I would like have some cereal um, or like a peanut butter sandwich or something, which obviously was a lot more calories and I was eating more calorie dense foods. So yeah, my, my I think when you talk about recovery, Like, especially after you've done like a long prep like that, you got to think about like the mental recovery as well, not just the physical uh, or sorry, like the recovery of your physiology in terms of hormones. So I just didn't stress too much about it and just enjoyed food, but try to also keep it in check. Like I was still weighing myself Um, and not just being like, you know, thinking that I was delusionally gaining loads of muscle. I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of done with this chapter at least in my life for now so let's let's just kind of focus on the other things in life and make sure in my training I'm still enjoying it and uh, and just recovering from that and I think that's that actually I, I don't regret doing that because I remember after the other preps that I've done I would try and be more restrictive and I would end up just being you know binging a lot and, and feeling really bad psychologically about it and maybe even trying to do some damage control and then ending up like just very unhappy with how I how I end up like looking and feeling and after this prep I was just like I'm just gonna just try and go back to eating normally somewhat not trying to stuff my face with everything and anything that I can but not being too restrictive and I really did actually like enjoy that I could have definitely kept it in a bit tighter but at the end of the day like you know six months later I I may have been in the same position anyway um that, that mini cut that i was talking about then is probably i would say looking back now is probably oh well, it was definitely a lot of it was to do with like psych psychologically i felt like i looked a lot different because i did because having spent pretty much the previous six months at a stage condition or very close to it and then you're not looking you know you don't look anything remotely like that you do feel like well uh i, I look terrible and even looking back at some of the photos that I took um, in my posing trunks about six months after the show, I, I felt at the time, wow, I look terrible. But now looking back at them, I'm like, actually, it don't look too bad. Um, so that was the kind of approach that I took, which isn't an approach that I would advise for somebody who like wants to diet down so they can stay lean or maintain some sort of level of leanness. But I think the further you push it, the pendulum in one way, the more it's going to swing back the opposite way in terms of just... psychology and physiology Um, and I think a lot of having spoke to a lot of like pros or bodybuilders who've done this for a long time they kind of take a similar approach where they don't really try to reverse they just kind of let that chapter of their life close for a bit and then mentally it helps them recover a lot so that they can push again when it comes to it because previously after other seasons when i tried to take that slow and controlled approach i really felt like i'm a resentment almost towards bodybuilding um and saying i'm not going to do this again or like or like i definitely don't want to do this for a long time whereas about four months after my last season i was like looking forward to actually getting back on the stage not that i was going to do it anytime soon but i was actually looking forward to to doing that and that i think that helps with my uh, off-season training and things like that then of course we had the the lockdown situation but that's the approach that i took but it's not something that i would advise for somebody who wants to compete frequently or somebody
0: who wants to stay lean if that makes sense yeah so so when was the um when did you finish like when was the official end of your last like competition season
1: yeah it was november november mid-november 2019 so about 16
0: months ago maybe Mid-November 2019 is when you finish competing. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, I I just pulled up your video where you're discussing that mini cut, which was um, 2020, May 16. And I'm seeing you here stepping on the scale and you're at 220 pounds, so (laughs) around 100 kilos. You competed at around 80. So, I mean, and and so, look, we are, like, not fat-shaming you here because, like, December january february march april may so like six months and 20 kilos that's not you know like so okay 20 kilos divided by six that's like three kilos a month so you know on average per week it's like 0.8 kilos so like yeah in the beginning there is a bigger jump but you still could have just gotten there by gaining roughly like a, a a pound a week you could call that like a more assertive bulk for like an intermediate lifter so like it's not it's not insane even with that weight gain
1: yeah i mean for me it it definitely was predominantly fat i mean i was recovering like it was probably only about i would say march that actually started to feel like normal again body fat distribution was a bit normal like I, i at that point i think that was the heaviest i'd ever been and uh i hadn't i have been that heavy since i think i might have cut to around i think by about Later that year, I was around 200 pounds, so um, I, I cut down, I'm a bit heavier now again, um, but I'm just kind of holding body weight. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I was just, like I said, I was eating normally um, and until kind of how, you know, just to, I was kind of, I suppose intuitively, but still trying to eat well. So just eating when I was hungry and still trying to have a, a decent diet. And almost like at that point, it was like a mixture of, now I'm feeling well, but also I'm actually way too heavy. And uh, and I wasn't, uh, you know, you obviously are a lot less fit because you've got a lot less body, a lot more body fat, um, at that point. But um, but yeah, I think it was at that point I was like, actually, yeah, I need to kind of control this a bit because uh, you know I I just don't
0: like being that heavy either, um, yeah. Yeah. Um. So the the only reason why I'm trying to dissect this a bit is because I'm just curious how your subjective experience compares to for example mine because I when I did my photo shoot and I got very lean I then went up in weight fairly quickly and it made me feel better and in hindsight I'm like you know what like it's um it's all good I got to feel better became more socially flexible and probably in many ways, it helped me to recover better. It also allowed me to get to a better place mentally, and also be in a position where I can more objectively reflect on the whole experience. So in retrospect, there is no regret there per se, it was a learning experience, uh, something that I just felt like I had to do at the time. And I will be honest, there were times when I lost control in the process of gaining that weight. So not all of that was just Healthful, intuitive eating, letting my appetite guide me, and it's like, oh well, today my appetite led me to eat 5,000 calories. Many times I did not plan to eat 6,000 calories, but it still ended up happening, and those times made me feel really bad. Uh, each time that happened, it made me question my whole identity almost. In you know, hindsight, 2020 now I have a kind of different framing over the whole thing. But at the time, it made me feel really bad. And um, I'm curious, did you have some of those moments in the process of gaining the weight?
1: Uh, No, actually, I don't think I did. So that's why I I kind of look back and don't think I regretted it, because I think uh, there's a a mixture of uh, just the adaptations that you have when you've diet so lean that you just want to eat more all the time. But previous experiences I, I had binged where it, like whatever that kind of definition is of lo- like losing control I, I didn't actually have any days where i lost control so to speak I, it was just more so that i was eating more all the time and uh, maybe you know obviously some days a little bit more but it wasn't feeling like oh i can't stop myself i've i've eaten you know seven chocolate bars now and i i feel terrible about myself um it was just kind of I, I just ate more and enjoyed myself uh, more and had food kind of when I wanted to have food Um so I, I didn't regret or look back and f- feel uh, you know guilty about it or anything like that and I think like I do identify as a, a bodybuilder who's competitive so I don't feel necessarily the, the need always to stay super lean so it didn't really feel too bad about it but it Obviously, you know everyone wants to kind of be leaner. Then, uh, you know, it, it's all it's better for everybody most times, so, or or most people would like to be leaner, regardless of what they say. I think they would like to to look good all the time. But I think I was also playing. I started playing basketball actually again, just as a another way to kind of be competitive, because when you step away from such a long prep, you, you lose your competitive outlet to an extent. So I started playing basketball a little bit, and I was just being. 220 pounds you can't really run much well you can but it's very hard and um so yeah i think that's one of the reasons why i wanted to kind of diet down again but yeah i don't feel like i lost any any um any control i mean over chris like christmas is quite close to november so it's you know celebrated here with lots of food and alcohol which i definitely drank quite a bit i think um you know more than i would have probably combined for the previous year so it wasn't the best time to kind of finish up a uh, a prep. I think maybe if it was if I finished it at the start of summer, maybe I would have kept it a little bit tighter. But you know, looking back, I don't think I necessarily regret it. After the next prep, do I think the same thing would happen? I would say probably, depending. Maybe I would keep it a little bit tighter. But like a year, you know, looking back now, do I think I would be in a much different position than I than I than I am now if I had to changed things or kept maybe you know, maybe to 205 pounds or 220, I don't think so. And if you look at like some of the, the case studies on, there's one specifically, uh, Rossow 2013, they look at, you know, uh, the six months before and six months after the show and the, the competitor basically is a slight bit heavier than when he started the prep, at when he's finished his kind of recovery period, so to speak. And that's kind of where I, where I was. I started my prep around 205 pounds, I think, ended up around 220 to at the absolute peak um and uh, and then i'm kind of now i'm hovering around maybe two to ten ish and uh just trying to hold this not trying to focus on dieting or balking really and uh and I'm waiting kind of to really do any kind of major pushes until the the gyms open up i think
0: yeah well i mean adam you have a very uh, healthy mindset about the whole thing so i i praise you for that <laughs> i think um for one that partially comes from you just being in this for so long so none of this came as a shock to you for one and uh, it just clearly shows the differences between a competitor and someone who just wants to get lean to to look good so um, admittedly like when I got lean I sort of had plans about like staying leaner than I was before so like not just like reasonably lean, you know, some ab definition, but like not too lean, but to become like, okay, I'm going to show the example. Like you can stay at like, you know, 10 ish percent body fat and like you can make it work. And these are the strategies. And that's actually something that I'm doing now. And I intend to keep it up for a while. And, um, but now I didn't get as lean as I did for my photo shoot. So there was not that, yeah, mainly that urge to have that rebound physically or mentally, but, it seems like you didn't have any of that like you didn't didn't have those romantic ideas of okay now i'm stage lean and obviously i won't stay stage lean but i will stay like lean all the time and and that's gonna be the future you were like no i'm a competitor i did this and now it's time to recover focus on other areas and then whatever in two years or whatever when the time comes again then i'm gonna push myself to get lean again so I mean it's a very healthy mindset go ahead I, I
1: I think it changes so like the first time I competed I was 21 um i didn't I didn't get as i got actually quite lean for for being 21 but um or for my first show I should say and I thought that I would stay lean and it's almost like the expectations um is is what kind of makes you feel bad because you don't you don't realize how prep will affect you physically and that was my worst prep in terms of how i felt during and after the prep uh, i didn't i didn't think i don't think at the time i knew back in 2013 about these negative impacts of testo, like how your testosterone is reduced and, uh, and your your thyroid hormones and everything like that and and uh, mood disturbances go up, and this is a, a normal thing, um, I think that paper I just mentioned was like only published that year, and I didn't read any kind of research or anything like that back then, and then as as I went, th- and then my next prep was just three years later, it was like a slight bit easier, I was expecting those things afterwards, I I kind of did try to control a bit more, definitely to gain a bit more weight, but mainly I, I think after that prep, I was maybe like a hundred and you know 95 pounds or something afterwards but on stage i also wasn't as lean as i as i was in the time i compete the most recent time i competed um but back in 2018 actually before i it was a year before i, I competed last um i was actually quite i was relatively lean maybe like 10 12 11 percent body fat and that was just through like habits and kind of following a, a similar diet i guess to the, what, what you have i see you post a lot of vegetables and you know relatively low calorie diet to maintain and i i was actually quite lean i was going on holidays and i kind of did that without tracking for a couple of months and i went to like turkey and things like that and i was lean i could have like visual like visual abs etc and i was actually thinking of competing that year um i think i was maybe around 190 pounds which is about 15 pounds over uh, my last age weight And but i reached out to jeff albert who has actually had had prepped me the the season before and he probably said it was a little bit tight to try and compete that year so we just kind of left it for a year so I I definitely do think it's possible to do that and I it's a different approach is more so about focusing on on certain habits and building them up versus when you're prepping of course you do need those similar habits but it's like so much it's quite consuming and you know some of the habits are not sustainable like like walking twenty thousand steps a day or or um constantly pushing yourself like lower and lower in terms of body fat it's like when you're done with that almost you just want to be completely done with it you've you grow to resent it a little bit to an extent and once the show is finished that you kind of just want to remove yourself from that whereas if you're trying to stay lean like I definitely recommend to most people that say, I want to be, say, 11% or I want to have abs, whatever that means, whatever body fat that is to them. I say, well, like, you know, let's not try and push it um, below that because then it's going to be much harder to maintain that rather than just slowly try and edge towards that so i do think it's definitely two different approaches and i think i've even had people ask me you know oh you look like a, a like i mean a natural bodybuilder looks like a fitness model like you know even the biggest natural bodybuilder looks like a fitness model who's you know maybe juicing a little bit um and they say oh, i just want to look like a fitness model kind of like what you look, look like a, like when you're lean i was like you do realize that's like five percent body fat and that's not like sustainable and what's sustainable for some people might not even be abs so i definitely do think it's a a lot different approach and you have to maybe be a bit uh, you have to think about the diet after the diet or what you're going to do once you get there rather than just okay i'm going to get there and then i'll figure it out once i get there
0: yeah i mean and i think that's the um, that's the biggest difference between doing a competition or a photo shoot where you're like Willingly taking on unsustainable strategies to get yourself to an unsustainable place. So the difference between that and just trying to get lean in the latter stage, like, yeah, like it's it's not a, not a sustainable place to be. So it is OK and basically required to take on unsustainable strategies and that almost necessitates a rebound simply because it's not only the lower calories that you grow to resent but also just the whole concept of a structure itself and the whole concept of staying somewhat tight and attentive and if you want to get to a place where you actually want to maintain you cannot grow to resent those things because then you will have the rebound so That's kind of the big difference is people talk about like, okay, like, is it okay to like really do insane things, even if I just want to get to say 12% body fat where I actually want to stay at? And it's like, yes, it is okay to be more unsustainable compared to where you would be when you're just maintaining, but it cannot be so unsustainable so that you're like pushing yourself over the edge where the whole idea of structure and some semblance of discipline is just something that seems like you just cannot do anymore because then you will have the rebound and then you're going to go through that whole ugly process which is kind of a built-in component of competing but it shouldn't be something that is integral to just getting lean for the summer and to a place where you actually want to stay so like this is these are the big distinctions that we just have to draw between competitors and just people who want to get lean basically and i I think you outlined that really well
1: yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with you and that's why I think like it's like anything, you know, like someone who exercises versus like an, an Olympian in some sort of sport, they a lot of them don't have balance in their life. So, you know, we shouldn't really be following a an Olympian who that's all they do when they are in their season, however long that season may be. It's, you know, they don't have sustainable lifestyle habits and that's why you know, like people following competitors or people hiring, say coaches who are competitors, not that they're all bad, but like a lot of them, they just know how to prep for a bodybuilding show. And like, I know a lot of coaches who will, um, you know, they'll, they'll have like a bodybuilding diet, so to speak. They'll still be kind of the, uh, the, they'll still think certain foods are like very bad, um, or like inherently will cause you to, to gain fat. So they'll have a, a, a diet with specific foods that they will send. And they know how to switch it off and just be hyper focused with like tunnel vision on a bodybuilding prep. And they think that's what should translate over to, you know, a, a, an average person who just wants to get lean and that's what they have to follow. And ultimately, that's why, you know, meal plans that are just sold as meal plans don't really work. And bodybuilding competitors are not necessarily going to be the best kind of coaches for you know, they're going to be actually probably bad coaches for you know, certainly gen pop. You know, there's a lot better, um, you know, PTs or, or coaches who are going to be much more suited to your general population. Um, and that's why like an approach of a very rigid, uh, unflexible s- style of, of dieting or training may be needed in some cases for a bodybuilding competitor, but not, may not be useful or long-term sustainable for somebody who's just trying to get lean, if that makes sense. So I, I definitely do take it a much different approach to uh, the clients that I work with who are competing versus the clients who are never want to compete because they're they're not you know they don't have to be the the same thing. It's like painting yourself with fake tan and wearing essentially a thong on stage is kind of bizarre. Just because you like lifting doesn't mean you have to do that. So I think yeah, like the the clients who. Are competing if they are like having if they said oh i went out and had like uh chinese takeaway and beers at the weekend and they're not making much progress you know i'll probably be a bit more stern with them than if a client who said oh I, I you know i didn't um i did the same thing but you know they're just trying to get a little bit leaner i i would say that, you know to them that's you know it's fine don't worry don't stress too much about it like these things are normal we don't want to cut these things out and I think that's where like bodybuilders often, they kind of don't see that sort of thing where it's like they can only see what they want to achieve and what they need to to get to super uh, levels of leanness. And that's not necessarily what the average person kind of wants to get when it comes to maintainable uh, physique. And I think it really depends on the person how much they can handle and what where they start to feel the trade-offs are no longer worth it. And they kind of have to find that themselves. And every time, as you'll know, every time you get leaner, it does get easier as well. You and, and more so, you're just able to cope with it better, and you're able to uh, handle things better, and also your habits just become a bit more ingrained. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, that's well said, man. And also, um, a good line that I heard from someone is, "Pick your gurus and stick to them." And um, it sounds like it sounds like a bit of a weird statement, but what that means to me is be careful about who you follow and why you're following them in that some people you will follow for information and you will use that information to help your particular situation and then others you might only follow for just entertainment and just because it's interesting so i do follow some people in the space And I admire them for this, actually, that they're fully open about the fact that all the emotional stuff, the mental aspect, the sustainability aspect, like, that's not their thing. Like, I am a guy who, if you're an elite, like, iron-willed, robot-like animal, and you want to be the absolute best by whatever means, I can get you there. Like, I'm the best in the industry for that. I will get you to your goal. Now, what happens with your, like eating behavior, how this affects your psychology, your relationship with your wife, uh, whatever, urges to overeat after the show. Uh, Like that's, that's not my thing, like that's on you. If that's an issue for you, like you're not my ideal clientele. And I actually admire that openness. Like there are people for that sort of coaching and for that sort of information. But if you're not that person for whom those people are creating content, then just know, like, those are not your gurus. Like, you can watch that for entertainment or just for interestingness, but uh, that's not the place where you should be gathering your, like, practical information from. Uh, but I, I think uh, you outlined it really well, so pretty much uh, nothing I would I would really have to add there. So, um, so, Adam, I actually covered everything with you that I wanted to, and um, I think this was very informative and uh, thank you for your openness and your honesty and um, just thank you for being on the show in general. So last question is, uh, you know, where can people find out more about you, your work, content, and all of that good stuff?
1: Yeah, t- thanks for having me on. It was great to chat again. Um, so yeah, I have my own podcast, The Health Mastery Show. I a lot of the people that I interview our bodybuild natural bodybuilders um a lot of researchers um and yes yeah, it's, it's kind of like that it's it's maybe i will be starting to venture into maybe some even in, into some endurance and uh, nutrition but it's, it's pretty much all around training and nutrition um so you can check that out uh, all all platforms uh youtube as well i then I have an Instagram. It's Adam Mac One Nine Two. I kind of post some stuff on there. I always want to make uh, like posts or blogs and things like that, but I just haven't really got so much time at the moment. I know people always say that, but uh, I, I genuinely I will, won't be doing that well. In my my master's degree if I don't put more time towards it. So um, yeah, they're they're the places that people can find me. And uh, if you are into natural bodybuilding, I've made a free course where you can. Uh, we, we go through some stuff that I've talked about but it's like you said it's it's for people who want to do natural bodybuilding or, or really like natural bodybuilding not necessarily someone who wants to just uh, get there and and maintain um, you know a level of leanness like we we talked about it's the approach maybe similar but it's you know it's always going to be about just dropping body weight but the, the the way that you get there really will determine kind of the outcome
0: Wonderful. Then you're not a competitor of mine, Adam. That's awesome. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, All right, Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure chatting with you.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.